Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, the nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. Let's talk about troubleshooting your PCOS period problems with your basal body temperature. You're listening to An Amber A Day, the Functional Nutrition Podcast. And I am your host, Amber Fisher. Hi. Nice to see you all again. I'm excited that you're here. Um, Today, I'm going to go through what I've been talking about on Instagram the last week, which is basal body temperature, PCOS, what I normally see, what we can do about it, what it all means. So if you've been inspired to start tracking your BBT, you are in the right place. Um, Save this podcast because I'm going to be going in depth about different things that we notice in PCOS charts and what it could mean. A little disclaimer, basal body temperature is not, you know, um, a foolproof method. It has, uh, and it doesn't necessarily, just because you see something on there doesn't necessarily mean yes or no that this thing or that is happening. But when you do basal body temperature regularly and um, you get a conglomeration of evidence, it does kind of really give you valuable insight into what's going on with your um, cycles. Um, especially for PCOS, it's helpful to see whether you're ovulating or not ovulating. Um, and that can give you a lot of insight into like, do I potentially maybe have some estrogen dominance going on? You know, there's just a lot of things that you can figure out from tracking your BBT. I also really like BBT because it's free. I mean, yeah, you got to buy a little thermometer, but it's like five bucks, you know, and um, it's just, it's, it's a way of us taking back control, taking back power over our bodies and our health decisions and just kind of like knowing ourselves and knowing what's going on with us and not um, giving that power away to others. Um, so I think it's good. It's important to know about yourself, to understand yourself. So I want to teach you guys, um, how to do this and what to do. Um, now, if you don't know how to track your basal body temperature, I'm going to do like a brief overview. Um, so if you do know, you might want to skip ahead a little bit. Um, if you don't know, stick around. I'm going to do a brief overview after I talk about what's going on in my personal life. Um, but we're not going to go into a ton of depth on it because there's lots of information out on the internet about how to track your basal body temperature. Um, and if you go on my Instagram, I also did a post going into depth on, you know, exactly how to do it and all that stuff. So, so what's been going on with me this week? Well, the coolest thing that's been going on is I have been wearing a continuous glucose monitoring uh, device and I'm doing this, um, partnering with NutriSense to do this. And we're going to have a podcast about this very topic and what I've discovered about my own blood sugar and what I can tell you about yours and, you know, the implications for PCOS and all that uh, soon. It'll probably be in a month or two because I'm wearing this thing for like a month. So uh, look look forward to that. But if you want to see like real time what's been going on with my blood sugar and a lot of <laughs> people on Instagram are telling me like, hey, eat this and see what happens. Um, I am using myself as a human guinea pig. So if that sounds fun to 
you. Um, you know, feel free to go and tell me what to eat and I will eat it. Um, I'm actually having a lot of fun because I'm eating things that, uh, I don't normally, <laughs> I don't normally eat that much of. So it's kind of been a fun little, um, practice, but I'll tell you what, um, it is very interesting to see my data on when my blood sugar gets too high or, um, especially when it gets too high and to correlate that with how I feel because, uh, you know, there's definitely like a physical sensation to your blood sugar getting too high or spiking too fast. And I've been finding it really interesting that like, I was kind of like right on with my intuition before, because I've never worn one of these before, but just knowing when, when I overdid it or did too much. Um, so I think that's really, really cool. I'm excited to share my insights with you all. We're doing a lot of that on, on the, on the gram. So hang out with us over there and you can, um, see what's going on with my blood sugar. If that's interesting to you. Uh, but I, I think it's really cool because, you know, in PCOS, of course, we often have, we almost always have some sort of insulin resistance. And I think looking at me from the outside, you know, I don't look particularly insulin resistant. Um, not that that necessarily means anything because you can be insulin resistant no matter what you look like. Um, but in the, you know, I've been told this by doctors and things like that. And so sometimes my worries about insulin resistance have been sort of brushed aside. Um, and, uh, you know, I just find it interesting that it's like, okay, well, here's the, here's the proof. You know, I do see my insulin resistant PCOS stuff going on and it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting, really interesting. So, uh, yeah, if that's interesting to you, you can follow me on the gram. Okay. Let's get into today's topic because we've got a lot to talk about and not a lot of time because I don't want this to be like a two hour episode. So uh, first of all, how do you track your basal body temperature um, and why? So basal body temperature is a method of tracking that's often used when people are trying to conceive, but you can do it for other reasons. And it just is a way of taking your body temperature at the same time every day so that we can see consistently how it's changing. And those changes can indicate different things happening in your menstrual cycle because your temperature changes at different places in the cycle. So it's pretty cool. Um, so what you do is you get a basal body temperature thermometer and you're going to use that. Um, there's two ways to use it. You can use, either use it orally or vaginally. Vaginal temperatures do tend to be more accurate, but it's also, you know, kind of a hassle. Um, so, I always did mine orally. That works too. Um, and I'll give you some tips for that. Uh, but, but you're going to take your temperature at the same time every day and, um, you just chart it out on a little graph. Uh, you can do it by hand or usually people use an app. Um, one of my favorite apps when I was trying to conceive was fertility friend. Um, but I've had other people use other apps and uh, then you just watch and see what happens and you can see some cool changes that we'll talk about in a bit. Um, so a, a couple of tips, if you are taking your oral temp, you want to just make sure that um, you like didn't drink any water before because that'll change your temperature, that your mouth wasn't open while you were sleeping because that will change your temperature. So usually what I would do every day is I would wake up um, to like, I always wake up naturally at about the same time. Um, but when I was doing my, my bo basal body temperature, I would like try to set an alarm, um, so that I would like do it consistently at the same time every day. 
And then you, I would just hold my mouth closed for like about five minutes. That way I was sure that, um, you know, I had had a chance to like warm back up and then I would hold the thermometer under my tongue for a while, um, until it kind of reached the temperature of my mouth before pressing the button to get the temperature going. Because one thing that I noticed while tracking my basal body temperature back in the day is if you, um, put the little thermometer in. Sometimes the first reading was low and then the second reading would be higher and it'd be like, well, which one's accurate? So I just kind of developed this system of doing things the same way every time. And that is really the key with basal body temperature is making sure you're consistent. You want to occasionally you can throw out certain dates um, or, you know, if you accidentally sleep in or whatever, it's okay. Um, but you want as many days in a row, um, consistent as possible. And that's really going to help you to make sure that everything's accurate. Welcome to the alchemy of natural healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. Okay, so let's say you've been doing this. You've been taking your temps. Um, Now, the average woman who does not have PCOS is going to see some consistent things in their cycle. So the first thing that they're going to see is that their body temperature is going to be around 98 degrees. Um, You know, 98.5, right, is like the ideal temperature. You always hear about that. The reality is that naturally people kind of fall within a little bit of a range. Um, so somewhere in the 98s though is nice to see. That's always a good sign when your temperature is a little warmer like that. Um, a lot of women with PCOS struggle with low temperatures. Um, so less than 97.5 on a consistent basis. I know for myself, um, I always was like, I was always under 97.5. And um, a lot of us assume, because we've heard this, and, and this is true, that low temperatures could indicate thyroid issues. And that's true. Hypothyroidism does usually correlate to low body, low internal body temperatures. Um, and so that, that's one thing to, to keep an eye on is if your temperature is hitting, is in like the 95, 96 range, you know, 90, even like 97s, you might have hypothyroidism. Um, that's not diagnosed because the temperature is too low. But there's another reason why temps can be low that doesn't have to do with the thyroid or at least isn't isn't the main cause, um, being the thyroid. So that is if your adrenals are kicking in like crazy. So when you have an adrenal, uh, adrenal dysfunction, your temperature can be abnormally low as well. So, um, I see one of those two things in PCOS almost all the time, not everybody, 
But the vast majority of the people that I work with who have PCOS, especially if PCOS has been something that they've been dealing with for a long time, um, we've got lower than normal core body temperatures. And so there may be some issues going on with the thyroid. There may be some issues going on with the adrenals. Um, you know, statistically, these things are likely there's an entire subset of people with PCOS who have adrenal based PCOS in the first place. And then there's a whole, um, there's just a ton of people with PCOS who also have Hashimoto's or other types of hypothyroidism. Um, there was actually a, a study that I saw that came through the other day, um, just kind of taking big groups of data and, uh, looking at, women with PCOS and how often did they also have a concurrent autoimmune condition? And it was statistically more than the norm. So I found that interesting because in my work, of course, I see that a lot that we have comorbidities, they call it. So you've got um, PCOS, but you also have Hashimoto's or, you know, there's, there's a conglomeration of, of different things going on. And one of those things being an autoimmune condition. Um, and this is, I think, why addressing inflammation and PCOS is so huge. Anyway, we're going down a rabbit trail there. I won't get into that today. That may be a, a time, an, another topic for another podcast. But um, you want to see your temps a little bit higher if they are lower, then this is when you might want to pursue those two trains of thought. So first of all, pursue thyroid testing. And when I say thyroid testing, I don't mean just getting your thyroid stimulating hormone or TSH checked, but I actually mean getting a full thyroid panel. Um, this would include ideally TSH, um, T3, T4, reverse T3, um, thyroid antibodies, you know, all, all of the stuff. The reality of that is that it is sometimes hard to get that test run, um, because it is sometimes not deemed medically necessary. However, if you go through a functional medicine doctor, you're more likely to get help with that ifm.org guys. Um, that's what I would look at. I would look at somebody who's at least who has a lot of experience working with thyroid and actually working with it, not just like throwing a medication at it. Um, and I would look at, you know, functional doctors, integrative doctors, things like that. You're a little bit more likely to be able to get a full thyroid panel run through those sources. Just how it goes. Not necessarily always true, but yes, just trying to help. Okay. So the next thing to think about is, um, so let's say that all checks out, like thyroid's fine. Um, then you would want to look at um, adrenal, adrenal imbalances. And I've done lots of podcasts on um, the adrenals, how to support them, how to support them with PCOS. So I recommend going back and kind of listening to some of those, but they're, you know, just general strategies for taking care of the adrenals, for stress reduction, um, you know, meal timing, um, what's in our meals, all that kind of stuff is important when it comes to the adrenals. Um, you want to avoid fasting. Uh, core body temperatures being low could also be, you know, it could be that you're, there's too much calorie restriction going on. Um, it could be like, you know, the, your metabolism has slowed down because of like yo-yo dieting. I mean, there are other things that it could be, but usually those two things connect to either the thyroid or the adrenals. Um, maybe not in like a diagnosable way, but 
your thyroid's getting kind of drained and that's by calorie restriction and that's sort of why your body temperature is low. Um, so think about that. Think about you and your history. Um, there's definitely a way to eat with PCOS where you're eating enough, but you're also not um, eating to swing your blood sugar like crazy. So there's a balance with that um, that you can strike. If you have trouble doing that, I'd recommend working with a nutrition professional. Okay. So uh, the next thing to keep in mind is that with basal body temperature, we usually see kind of erratic temperatures at the beginning. So the influence of estrogen on our system and estrogen is what's kind of rising during the first half of our cycle or what they call the follicular phase is sort of unstable. Estrogen is kind of all over the place. Like it sends your temperatures like crazy. So you should expect to see things like, you know, kind of all over the map during the first half of the cycle. That's normal. But in the average person, what we will see is, um, usually we'll see like a, a sharp kind of drop and then a sharp rise from like one day to the next. So, um, and this is, this is often the influence of luteinizing hormone and then the subsequent ovulation and production of progesterone that sort of causes this. So typically around 14 days is when the average woman ovulates. And so you'll see, you'll see that, um, temperatures that have been really erratic, all of a sudden they'll be like a big drop way down. Um, and so your temp will be really low. And then the next day it'll start either it'll rise really high or it'll start like a high jump. And that is because progesterone starts being produced after ovulation from the corpus luteum, which is the, the rupture site of the, um, of the follicle. And that, uh, progesterone is very warming to the body. Um, so we also see low temps when we've got estrogen dominance. Uh, so we want that progesterone. It warms us up. It's good for the body. Um, and we want to see that kind of like, uh, at least, you know, things might go from erratic and then go straight to a rise. Not everybody has the drop before the rise. That's that's not everyone. Uh, but you want to see that that rise. And the rise, you want it to be about a degree. Um, so let's say that you've been tracking your temperatures for like a month and it's just like still all over the place. It's just very erratic and up and down. And it's like that you don't see any clear like difference from one half of the cycle to the other half of the cycle. Like you can't tell where the midway point is. That is typically indicative of having not ovulated. Um, so in PCOS, we often don't ovulate. In fact, there are a lot of women with PCOS who still have normal cycles, like regular cycles, but they still are having anovulatory cycles. Um, I would say that that's rarer though, like at least I guess in my experience, and this is not, this is just anecdotal, but in my experience, I kind of see two different types of people with PCOS. I see the ones who like have always had irregular cycles to the point where like, they're basically just having withdrawal bleeds. Like they might bleed every three months. They might bleed like every six months. They might never bleed at all. Like it's really, really few and far between. Um, and there's no rhyme or reason to it. And then I see the type with PCOS who like, 
they kind of have consistent cycles, like they're having them about once a month or about every couple of months, you know, um, but it's just like they never know what day it's coming and, you know, it's it's irregular in that way. Now, both of those could be indicative of anovulation, but it's less likely in the ones that are having them pretty regularly. Um, in those cases, we might still be ovulating. It's just that what's happening is that we're ovulating late. Um, and that's dependent a lot on the insulin balance of the cycle. So if we see, for example, like a person who, you know, you're tracking your temperatures and it's like one month you're ovulating, or it looks like you're ovulating on day, like, uh, 15 and one month you're ovulating on day 22 and one, you know, it's like kind of all over the place that is, um, you know, there's good and bad to that. The good part about that is that you are ovulating. So, um, you have more of an opportunity to like tighten things up and get things more regular than a person who's having a cycle like once a year. Um, however, the bad news is that whatever, whatever way like you're eating right now and your body is being, um, nourished right now is not quite, correct for you because during the first part of your cycle, it's dragging on too long. Um, usually the issue here when the cycle drags before ovulation is insulin, that the insulin is too high all the time. Um, and so this is when we need to be really careful about blood sugar balance and making sure that we are eating meals that don't have a lot of carbohydrate in them in the first place, and that we're eating those meals with protein, um, and that we're just very steady about our meal timing. A lot of times, if you can kind of patch that up, the eating schedule up, even without restricting food groups and stuff, you might see things start to regulate more. So that's usually what's going on there um, in those cases. But if we don't see a jump at all, um, then it, it probably means we didn't ovulate. Um, and this is sort of a question that I get about BBT a lot with PCOS because it's like a lot of us are not ovulating at all. Okay. So it's like, well, why should I be tracking my temperature to find what I'm ovulating if I'm not ovulating? It doesn't make any sense. Um, the thing is you still want to track it if you are making big changes in your diet and lifestyle, because you want to see if it's making a difference. So there's a strategy to this to help prevent fatigue, uh, because it does get old taking your temperature. I'll tell you that. So what I have people do is do like, you know, um, a typical 28 day cycle and chart all the way through. And if they don't ovulate, like if it doesn't look obvious that they've ovulated by that point, they're probably not going to. Usually if you haven't ovulated by like day 20, like I won't say it doesn't happen because it does. I mean, if you've ever, if you've ever gotten accidentally pregnant with PCOS, which I've seen a lot, uh, you know that this does happen. Um, however, it's like for, for the purposes of trying to regulate cycles, it doesn't, it doesn't help that much at that point to like keep, keep charting and it just causes fatigue. So usually in those situations, I just say, okay, like if it's been 28 days, we don't see a rise, like let's just stop charting until we, we have our period again. And then that's day one. And we'll start charting at that point again and kind of do the same thing. And, um, 
that can, can sort of help to prevent some of the fatigue. But we want to see that bump. We want to see that change. After the bump of about a degree, usually temps stay, they kind of steadily rise, but they stay really stable. Um, this is hard to describe in words, but like if the first half of the cycle is very up and down, the second half of the cycle is like um, almost, it's like a, a very gentle arch when it's drawn out. So um, we want to see like the highest temperature, you know, around day like eight to 10 after ovulating. And then after that, they sort of start to kind of like drop off a little bit or, or sometimes they hold steady um, until right before your period. And right before your period, that's when they drop and they drop, you know, like crazy. Some people will start bleeding before the drop. Some people will start bleeding after the drop. For me, I always bled after the drop. Um, but that drop is a signal that you're no longer making that um, progesterone. And so your body temperature has dropped back to the um, levels that it had during the like estrogen phase, right? Um, so you're kind of waiting for, for that to happen. And if that's not happening, then, you know, it's likely that you're not ovulating. This is when we have to start working on ovulating with PCOS. Um, that could be a whole podcast in and of itself. And, um, maybe I should do a podcast like how to ovulate with PCOS. <laughs> that would have been something I would have searched for back in the day. The, pr- the problem with it is, is that's complicated, right? Because every woman with PCOS has a different reason why she's not ovulating. But I would say the the biggest thing that, um, that plays a role in the kind of immediate cycle to cycle ovulation is that insulin balance. Um, if you can balance that out real nice, real nice, and you're already having like sort of regular-ish periods, like they're coming, you know, every, every, at least every three months. If you can fix that insulin piece, you might start to see things regulate. Um, for those of you who, like me, had to have a period once every six months, a year, it's a little tougher in those cases, because in, in those cases, we have to figure out really where the root cause of a lot of this comes from. There's a genetic piece to it, um, but there's also usually like an inflammatory piece. So it starts out in those cases by working on um, by working on gut health and working on repairing dysbiosis, which is, uh, you know, imbalances in the bacteria in the gut. That's really common in in PCOS and especially in those who have like really irregular cycles um, because it's just such a stress on the body. So um, we got to work on on that. We got to work on adrenal balance is usually pretty poor in people who have very, very irregular cycles. So um, those things take a lot of time. But um, number one to getting ovulation back is to get the insulin balance. That's why metformin and ovazetol and all these things work so well to getting, you know, a large swath of people with PCOS to ovulate is because they help balance out your insulin and your ovaries are just very sensitive to insulin. They just are like, they, they don't like to let go of that follicle. They don't like to grow it properly unless the insulin level is very calm and stable because insulin is a hormone. So, um, so that, that's the biggest, biggest thing with that. Okay. So let's say that you are having a, you are ovulating and you're having a bump in temperatures, but it's like not a whole degree. 
um, or you're getting like the temperatures are still kind of erratic, even though you can see like a clear shift, but they're still erratic. Um, or you're not, your temperature's not warming up that much. Um, or, or you are having a shorter second phase. So, um, first, let me tell you the second phase of the cycle, the luteal phase, this is the phase after you ovulate is supposed to be at least 12 days. Sometimes it goes up to about 15 days. Um, from woman to woman, it's different, but for each woman, it is consistent cycle to cycle. So ideally you want to see periods where, you know, if you don't know when your period is coming, for example, the problem nine times out of 10 is with the first half of your cycle. The first half of your cycle is much more sensitive to different changes and in things. And so it can drag on too long. Like it can be a long time before you ovulate, or it can be a shorter time. And then that will change the length of your cycle. But by and large, the second half of your cycle doesn't change. You're always a 13 day person, or you're always a 14 day person. There's one exception to this. And these are people who have either, a, you know, a, a shorter or smaller rise in their progesterone levels. Um, people who have more erratic temperatures during the second phase of the cycle and people who have a shorter than 12 day, um, luteal phase. And these people are people who don't make enough progesterone usually. So, um, this is when it's really valuable to track because the only real things we can do about progesterone are work with some herbals, um, work on over un, like underlying health and increasing like maybe the quality of our ovulations and also taking um, exogenous progesterone during um, certain phases of our cycle, especially if we are trying to conceive. So it's important to know what our progesterone levels are. The problem with getting your progesterone level tested is that if you don't do it during the right part of your cycle, uh, it's almost worthless. Like if you get your progesterone run on like day three or day four of your cycle, it's like it doesn't make any, it, it really doesn't mean that much to me as, as a practitioner. Like when I see that, I'm like, well, I mean, it's not that valuable. The most valuable progesterone measurement comes when you can find that what is supposed to be that peak day for you of progesterone production, which for most people is between eight and 10 days after ovulation. So this is where basal body temperature comes in because it's like, okay, if you're seeing that you are ovulating, but something looks a little wonky, like it doesn't look quite right, or your, your luteal phase is lasting less than 12 days, like maybe it's like 10 days long, or it's kind of like all over the place. It's like, okay, some months it's 11 days, some months it's 13 days, and you're like, what? This is a sign that there might be some issues with your progesterone production, like maybe you're estrogen dominant. Um, maybe you are not making enough progesterone. There could be things, different things going on. But if you've been tracking, you'll know what day you ovulate usually, and you should be able to like time your blood draw. And um, so you can go in on, on that specific day and go and get your blood drawn and see what your progesterone level looks like. 
you know, if you can't um, get this done through your uh, through your doctor, um, usually that's how I send people to do it is just go ask their doctor to test them at that day in their cycle. And most doctors have been pretty amenable to that, especially if the person says that, you know, they're trying to conceive and stuff because it is known that low progesterone can increase, you know, miscarriage risk, especially in early pregnancies. And so a lot of doctors are really conscious about the fact that they don't want you to have low progesterone and potentially miscarry an otherwise healthy, um, healthy baby. So, uh, you can ask your doctor for this, but if you, if for some reason you can't, there are home kits and things. Um, there are kits you can do with like a nutritionist too, where we can, um, test your levels at different times of your cycle. Uh, so those do exist. I'll link to a kit that, um, that you can, like a home kit that you can do where you can take like little blood spots, um, to see what your progesterone levels look like during that time of your cycle. But anyway, um, if you get that test done, at the right time, you can tell what your progesterone level is, and that could give you a better idea if, if you're low. So, um, and if you are low, what do you do? Well, um, you, at that point, that's when we can start working with some things like Chase Tree or Vitex. So Vitex is not always recommended for PCOS. Um, it can raise LH levels. And there's a subset of people with PCOS who have naturally high LH levels. And uh, so we don't like necessarily want to add fuel to that fire. Um, however, in, in, in certain circumstances and with the right help, Vitex can be really, really helpful. Um, so Vitex is best done like cyclically with your cycle. Uh, and it's best done um, just for like a few months at a time and then taking breaks from it. So uh, you can actually use Vitex during the first kind of like half of your cycle, and it's known to increase progesterone. So it might help to raise those progesterone levels up to a more healthy healthy level. The other thing that you can really do if you um, are having an imbalance there between how much progesterone you're producing is really work on your estrogen levels. Um, in PCOS, we often have estrogen dominance because testosterone converts to estrogen through aromatase, which is an enzyme. Uh, so cutting back on things that increase aromatase like uh, alcohol and sugar um, are the two big ones is helpful. And then also making sure that your, you know, that your liver is functioning well, that like all your detox, um, processes are going well. And the two biggest things for that are your liver and your gut. Um, so making sure that your microbiome is as balanced as possible. Um, because if it is not, then you might have an increase of what are called beta glucuronidase enzymes, which take that prepackaged estrogen metabolite that's ready to come out of your body and repackage it and, um, or sorry, and recirculate it into the bloodstream. And that's always fun because then you have to process it all over again. Um, so gut health is huge for PCOS and, um, you want to make sure that your liver is working well. And, and the one place where a lot of us with PCOS kind of struggle here is um, with the MTHF, MTHFR gene mutations. Uh, a lot of us have like more severe phenotypes of that, which means that um, we don't methylate well, so we don't break down um, certain vitamins and foods and things properly, and um, it can affect uh, it can affect our our detoxification potential. So um, making sure that the, all those things are just like functioning super nice is also helpful for your progesterone. 
levels. Um, the other thing that's really important is your mitochondrial function. And this is kind of like an all over health thing, but increasing the amount of antioxidants that you um, are consuming is really huge here. There's a lot to it, but it's nice to kind of monitor your temperature so that you know, like, hey, I might have a problem here. And then you can kind of start going down the going down the trail of how to potentially fix that. Sometimes you'll hit a wall on your own. I mean, that, you know, um, I make all this information for free because I, I know this is stuff that I used to like scour the internet for, and I wanted as much knowledge as I could find. And, um, and I want to put things out there that are going to help people. But I also, think it's really important that if if in any way you can make it work financially that you should really work with a professional on this stuff uh just because it takes so much of the guesswork out of it it like makes the process so much smoother it's so nice to have an objective person tell you this is what you need to do next um help you troubleshoot these are things that you know those of us with who are nutrition professionals, you know, I've, I've gone to, I went to four years of school for this, plus lots of continuing education. Um, and, and nutrition was my hobby for years before that. So I've accumulated a lot of information over the years, um, and try to distill it down in a way that's as easy to understand as possible without also, uh, like speaking to you, like, like you're stupid. Cause I think you're smart. Um, but it's just, it does take a lot of the guesswork out of it. If you're having trouble or you can't figure out what's going on, um, to just, you know, cut through all the mess and just go see somebody. And if the, if you want that to be me, I'm taking new clients, guys. I am taking clients right now. So, um, so reach out, but there are a lot of, a lot of great practitioners out there. And I just encourage you to, to think, Think about, you know, before you buy this program or that program or this supplement or that supplement, think about working with somebody. Your money might be better spent doing that. Just a thought. Okay. All right. Well, that is all that I have to talk with you about today um, for basal body temperature. If you guys have questions, remember that you can fill out a little Google form that's linked in the show notes here, and you can actually ask me questions. I've been answering them on the podcast. Um, we've got another question and answer session coming up, I believe, next week. So um, definitely reach out and ask your questions. I love to get them, and um, I really, really appreciate them. Uh, one little thing that I wanted to say, I don't know if this is going to find the right people, but if you are wanting to work with me like one-on-one as I'm your nutrition professional, the link you want to click is to, you want to do that through my website, amberfishernutrition.com, and you want to click the link that says discovery session. Um, when you click the link that says questions for Amber or the form that's linked below that says questions for Amber, those questions are for the podcast. Um, so, uh, we've been trying to reach out to everybody who did that, but in case we missed anyone, like, and you're like, why haven't we heard back? Um, that may be why. So just look into that. Uh, but, Thank you so much for listening, guys. Let me know your questions and um, have a beautiful week. Okay, talk soon. Bye. If you learned 
something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it if you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend. If this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want, and I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.